0: I want to ask you this now. Will you be my wife? I love you with all my heart and soul.
1: But what's the matter? I... I cannot. I cannot be your wife. Don't you love me? Oh, yes, yes. I would rather belong to you than to anyone in the world.
0: So here's an interesting thing about this next movie. Um, So the one I want to talk about is uh, Roman Polanski's Tess. Um, It's a film of Tess to Ubervilles. They made in 1979. The weird thing about this movie was, the reason I decided to watch it was because the night before, I had a dream that I was watching the movie Tess, even though I had never seen it before. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen where, you watch a mo- where you're watching a movie or seeing scenes from a movie that you haven't seen? I think I've had dreams about seeing movies that had not come out yet, uh, okay. but I don't think uh, I've had one exactly like but this. But it was so random, but I decided, like... I have seen all of Roman Plansky's other films up to this point now. Like, I've seen all of his other feature films, except for this one. So I decided, alright, maybe now it's time to watch it. And so I did. Um... I think part of the reason I was sort of avoiding it was for the same reason that, like, when it came to Barry Lyndon from Stanley Kubrick, I didn't watch that for a while, and I almost like maybe part of it was like sort of a snobby attitude of like, eh, costume picture, eh, nah. but I was being I was being kind of a snob in the other direction. Um, but just like Kubrick succeeded with Barry Lyndon, Polanski did succeed with this movie, I, and he only made it in large part because it was Sharon Tate's favorite book. Oh. And, uh, you know, and she read it and loved it and, you know, and told Roman Polanski, like, you should make this into a movie. It'd be so good. And then, dead. So, and the other interesting thing is that this is the first movie Polanski makes um, after he goes into exile, when he runs away from uh, the U.S. Um, what the movie's about is, in short, uh, Natasha Kinski, daughter of Klaus, um, plays the title character, daughter
1: of Klaus. I want my opera house Kinsky.
0: Yes, that Kinsky. In case you're wondering, and and by the way, Natasha, t-
1: <laughs> like there's another Kinsky.
0: Yeah, I guess there isn't. If we're talking about Kinsky, it's not like we're talking about like Smith. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> Oh Kinsky. Smith. Uh, she plays the title character Tess. Um, she's in this family where. It's sort of realized uh, by, I guess, just a random occurrence that her family is sort of related to royalty, even though she's growing up kind of just like a simple farm girl. And she goes off to work for. uh, She goes off to work for this guy as like a chicken farmer. And the the person who works there falls head over heels for Tess and wants to marry her. But Tess is kind of like, yeah, I'm not that crazy and yeah. yeah. And of course, but he's still, you know, he tries to pursue her for a while. She she persists. She she doesn't want to go for it. Even though he ends up kind of forcing herself on her at one point. It's one of those kind of sad stories. Um so she goes off to work somewhere else. Um if I remember all the details. She But then she meets this other guy. Um I believe, and he's played by Peter Finch, and he's a very, and this guy's actually much more of like this, the very nice sort of gentlemanly type from that period, and like all the other women are kind of like, ooh, look at that guy, and like he's off like playing his lute, you know, like in the woods. He's
1: no Mr. Darcy, but he'll do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wait, what's that reference to? Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay. Um, No, wait.
1: Yes, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah,
0: and so you know, and Tess actually. really I'm going to look like
1: such an idiot if I'm wrong on that. No, uh,
0: <laughs> believe me, I'm 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 recalling part of this from memory, and I should have written some stuff down. But uh, oh, I was
1: thinking of Wuthering Heights of the other. Yeah,
0: uh, you were thinking of it because of I, the was, getting, the I was getting I was getting them mixed
1: up. But yeah, Mister Darcy is in
0: Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay. Uh, well, some of those characters blend together. You know, very <laughs> gothic romance. Well, Pride and Prejudice isn't so much gothic. I guess. But anyway, so in this movie, um, so Tess falls in love with this other guy. Uh, and you know, they decide to get married, but then they it's uh, they, they there's kind of an interesting thing that happens because he reveals at one time he had sort of a, an affair, not with not you know before he met Tess. And you know, he confesses this. And so in this moment of like revealing things, you know, like it's the night after their wedding. She's like, Well the I the this... best time to reveal yes. things. Well, this other guy, uh you know, the de the other de Uberville, which is of my name, but the interesting thing is that this other family, this guy is technically her cousin, but not like by blood. It's more like they bought the name <laughs> to use even though they were a different uh person. That that happened in nineteen in the eighteen in the eighteenth cent- century. Or oh, 19th, 19th century. century. I guess so, yeah. It you know it's set in England.
1: Um, right, when, when noble families went bankrupt, I mean, you, uh, like a lot of them revoked their estates or and yeah, their right there's to a the lot name, of name, so that you could buy that. There's a Does lot. Does it take of, place like, in France? Memes.
0: I'm not sure. Like it was written, the book was written by Tom. Duberville
1: Hardy. is is a French name.
0: I guess it would be, but it feels like it was. It would. It took place in England because everybody spoke English. Unless well, it was supposed to be French. And oh, everybody is,
1: so is that why Troy takes place in England? Or the Ten Commandments?
0: What? Troy does not take place in England. Oh, but they speak English. Alright, I know what you're saying. Okay. Actually, the ironic part is, I think the movie was shot in France, mostly to do with Polanski's extradition stuff at the time. You
1: see, I I can't go back to uh, America, so I'd like to film here. (laughs) (laughs)
0: exactly um but then so she reveals to her new husband yeah so this guy did kind of force himself on me and we had a kid but the kid died like six months later and it was really sad and he's like i can't believe you did this i cannot be married to you and and wait we were sharing yeah exactly um it's a very sad movie to say the least, but it's the thing that you get from it is that it's absolutely beautifully shot. Actually, the the director of the photography it's sort of split between between two credits, and one guy he actually died like halfway through making the movie. This guy Jeffrey Unsworth, uh, who you might who yeah he also shot 2001 a Space Odyssey. He shot he shot a lot of movies over the years. Um, I'd have to look him up right now. Um, Those
1: kind of unsung heroes of uh, movie making.
0: Those guys who, um, I mean, again, like he's probably among like, like Janusz Kaminski. Janusz Kaminski, yeah, that's
1: a good. I, I happen to know his name because he was part of an Oscar joke, but uh, he really? did like so, save... so.
0: You don't know him based on the fact that he's. I know he did followers. like
1: saving. He did like Saving Private Ryan and
0: a whole yeah, bunch. he shot. And all he, of he worked him. with Steven Spielberg. He's the worked whole time. with Steven Spielberg for for years. Okay, just actually, I, you know what's funny? His last movie was uh, Superman Two. Oh. Oh, actually, no, Superman 2, Richard Donner. And he shot the also the first Superman, Zardoz. Oh, Zardoz. Oh, he did a version of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Who directed it? Let me see. It's from the 70s. Um, oh, was, was it William a- Sterling. Oh, this is... I wanted to tell you about this. Yeah, because it has like an all-star cast. Peter Sellers plays the March Hare. Dudley Moore is the Dormouse. Oh, cool. You've never seen this one? No, I haven't. I guess you should seek that out, Um, but yeah. So this guy makes this movie look absolutely beautiful, and I think he even got like a posthumous Oscar. Um, The movie's long; you do have to be kind of set for the like the movie. I mean, it's almost three hours, and you know, so there's there's a lot of you know like milking the cows and things of that nature. But at the core of the movie is Natasha Kinsky, who is absolutely beautiful, and. Has a lot of soul to her. Like she she got the good parts of her father. Um, you know, his you know you know when you watch Klaus Kinski. Not yeah, the you, crazy eyes or yeah, the draggled hair. Yeah. Well I mean Klaus Kinski, yeah, really crazy guy, but you know, an amazing actor. Fantastic
1: actor. actor. Yeah, can't...
0: absolutely. Well, you know, when you look at Klaus Kinski, you know, those eyes are just like
1: You can't look you can't think about Klaus Kinski without imagining him shouting. <laughs> I don't know about that? We're doing this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mean like in those? Andrew right now is doing a weird bug-eyed look with his teeth, like facing up. You mean like in those Ferratu? Oh yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he he and Al Pacino, I think, are the two actors who, when I think of them, I think of their eyes. Doing. Oh, that sounds like a directing. great
1: epic rap battle of history: Al Pacino versus Klaus Kinski.
0: Yeah, it would be <laughs> Al Pacino versus. Klaus Kinski, begin! <laughs> ah, you think you could come in and take my Oscar? I got something to tell you. I, I went to bed, I have the house. You think that is he? Okay,
1: you've All convinced right. me. You get the part. All <laughs> right. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. You did a good job.
0: I was going over the top, honestly. Well,
1: I don't know how, how, any other way to do an epic rap battle <laughs> of history. You have to go over the top.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if enough people would know Klaus Kinski, though, for an epic rap battle. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> the point is though, this is Natasha Kinski. It's her first major performance. She really is the center of this movie, and there are times where her maybe it's because of her character, you think she kind of stuck up, but you know, she's not really you because know, the guy who ends up forcing himself on her, he's actually he's not a terrible guy, at least at first. He actually is trying to do a lot of nice things for Tess. But uh but he's also kind of scummy deep down. He doesn't really have a lot of inherent goodness. And um uh, so it is kind of like one of those love triangle stories, but I think that what Polanski brings to it and what makes it a very interesting movie is he emphasizes more that all right, these people are in these real locations. We're trying to get more of like the behavior. We're not trying to emphasize so much the soap opera part of it. And Oh, the other interesting thing uh, to mention is that the end of the movie takes place at Stonehenge, huh. but they again they couldn't shoot the movie in England, so they recreated Stonehenge just for ladies and
1: gentlemen, Stonehenge.
0: That <laughs> 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 it was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Tess is a classically made movie. Uh, if you like Polanski's movies, you will probably like this one so go see it
1: all right my next movie yes all right adam's family values
0: (laughs) (laughs) had you seen this before no
1: really really it it never seemed like a movie that i'd want to see like what about the
0: first adam's family
1: i think i saw the end of it like on tv once
0: so you went went straight to adam's family values
1: more or less but right. but what I saw of the first one, I saw that when I was like nine, and I was like, I saw both "This," and I thought different. this, and I thought this is too weird. Uh, wow! For, when I was nine, I was not the man I am now. <laughs> Trust I, well, me.
0: <laughs> we will take this child and make him a man. <laughs> uh, um, but <laughs> Adam's
1: family values uh, a ton of fun. Oh,
0: of course.
1: And I realized very early on that it was the thing you have to remember about the Adam's family is most people like i don't know how many how who would know the adams family you like some people know it from the movies and some people know that it was a television show back in the 60s and originally it and, was a comic strip yes and the fewest people probably know that yeah and th- this movie takes more cues from the comic strip than it does from the television show.
0: I believe so,
1: yeah. It be, not necessarily in like what kind of jokes are told, but like the kind of jokes people are told. There are these very short scenes that take place. Like The one that I think about is Wednesday Adams is, on, is at the summer camp with yeah. uh, those kids, and they're trying to learn life-saving skills. I'll be the victim yeah. all your life. <laughs> but then, like her partner says, "I'll be the victim," and she jumps in. It's like, "Save me, save me." And then the counselor's like, "Well, save her. it's like, I can't swim." Yeah, but she's like... and then they're, and then the, the the victim sinks. the movie and has... that's a very and that's a very comic strip
0: uh set up and payoff.: It's full of great deadpan humor children. Do you think we love the baby more than we love you?
1: Yes. do you think that when a new baby arrives, one of the other children has to die?
0: Yes. That's just not true. Not anymore. (laughs) It's just simply rivalry. (laughs) Gomez, do you remember what we were like? I hated you. I despised you. I choked him until he lost consciousness and had to be put on a respirator.
1: I tied him to a tree and pulled out four of his permanent
0: teeth. When he was asleep, I opened his skull and removed his brain. You did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother! Brother! Again, if you watch the first movie, it lays down the template for these characters. But in a way, what, what works with the second movie is you don't necessarily have to see the first movie. No, you, I, it certainly didn't the hurt me. Like, yeah. by the way. And that's
1: what I love about this. Like The Adams Family is clearly not a regular family of anything. And there's no explanation for them. They're just there. They've plunked the Adams family in the middle of our world, and no explanation as to what they are or where they come from.
0: They work best because they are a reaction to the natural world. Yeah, like they are. They're like good Tim Burton type i mean i know tim burton didn't make this movie yeah but but this is a very burtony kind of film it does you
1: you would swear that tim burton made this film
0: yeah and it's it's actually barry sonnenfeld yeah i wrote and it has he has a great comic sensibility in his filmmaking uh you know he also did men in black um unfortunately he did wild wild west let's not talk about that although Uh, some people like that movie i think matt rosen's a fan of that um
1: (laughs) i think he's a fan of it just because of kevin smith's jokes about wild wild west
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, his bit of that. Yeah, okay. Um, but, uh, but but I, I like this movie a lot. I mean, obviously, I, I watched this movie. It came on cable a lot when I was a kid. And, uh, yeah, there are just lots of quotable lines. Um,
1: and as a student of history, I love the, uh, the, the Thanksgiving skit that they do. Oh, it's the, it's the best. It, it's the best.
0: Yeah, it's, no, we cannot break bread with you. And she, <laughs> that's why. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Don't we, we I won't, won't tell spoil you. It. All right. Uh, you have to watch it for yourself.
1: And oh, oh, one of my favorite jokes is uh, Joan Cusack comes in as the babysitter and's like she's first meeting uh, yeah. Gomez and Morticia, and
0: and she looks at Gomez, like, well, isn't he a lady killer? And he says, acquitted. <laughs> 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 but that, that, that seems like a joke. I yeah. I also like when Gomez and Morticia they go to the police because. Uh, you know, Fester has been sort of taken over by Joan Cusack, and he's yeah. been domesticized. Nathan Lane is there, and yeah, Nathan Lane's there, and Gomez is going through all this stuff. I w- I believe they own a Buick. Oh, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I remember the whole speech he gives. He's like, "My name is Gomez Adams, and I have seen horror." And they show the baby. I have seen terror. And it's lurch. Yeah. I have seen the unholy maggots that rest in the dark recesses of the human soul. There at camp, <laughs>
1: <laughs> great little jokes like that. Oh that yeah, I just it's, love.
0: it's full of, it's full of stuff. It is basically a comic book
1: movie. Yeah, in a, well,
0: in it's sort a, of a sensibility.
1: It, yeah, it's a comic book movie in the way that Beetlejuice
0: uh, is like a comic book movie. Well, I don't know.
1: Well, let's not get past that. But the thing I think I'll always remember about this film is uh, Angelica Houston. Oh, yeah. She's because great. she looks... All right. I don't want to di- don't want to distill uh, actresses' doubt to their hottest roles, but she is so hot in this <laughs> film.
0: <laughs> well, you know what's great about it is that... And I think that the... I'll give credit to Nostalgia Chick for sort of pointing this out. You have characters like Mortician Gomez... They genuinely love each other. Yeah, they're not like they're not one of these sitcommy type of you know couples who have bickering and problems. They generally they have are affection. They have affection. They have passion. The old affection. ball and chain. I'll yeah. get them. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, and, I, and yeah, I, Angelica I, Houston is pretty sexy. You know?
1: And like and her first line, like I think it's the first line in the entire film is like, Gomez, I have wonderful news. I'm going to have a baby, right
0: now. <laughs> Oh yeah, and she's totally calm through the whole uh, delivery. Yes. It's are very you in unbearable pain? pain. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> or, um, it, it's a little bit. It, than it that. kind of it's the kind of movie that teaches children sadomasochism in a fun way. <laughs> Not unlike unlike Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, except that Fifty Shades of Grey were had a good sense of humor and good actors and a purpose. We will speak beauty, no more of this film, which we haven't seen. Okay, and, and then
1: uh, there's a scene where she's reading the Cat in the Hat.
0: Oh, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> I remember that. Uh,
1: but this this was just really funny, and I'm glad I saw it. It, it I thing, was...
0: I, I could watch that movie right now. Like, I, that's one of those films that is it one of the greatest films of all time? Maybe not, but I watched it when I was a kid. I think I could watch it now, and the jokes would hold up, maybe yeah. even better in some ways than when I was a kid. I, I probably. It's one of those sophisticated movies that you can watch when you're a kid and enjoy some of the off-color humor. And as an adult, you get a lot of jokes that you didn't get before. Like, there's a scene involving Fester and Joan Cusack in bed. Yes. And I won't say what happens, but when I was a kid, I didn't get that. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I won't say what it is, but Christopher Lloyd is also.
1: I, and it's not him. any great masterpiece or anything, but it's just a solid movie with good jokes.
0: Yes, and that's jokes. a lot
1: better than I've seen lately.
0: Yes, uh, I like. Get of, off my lawn! Very solid New movies. Someone who enjoys, I think, enjoys good jokes in movies. You know, when even with the like, even you know, you know, you know he shot Raising Arizona to death. <laughs> some would argue that. Um, but it's like he almost has a good sense of humor with just the to camera. watch it die. Yeah. All right. So But
1: uh yeah, I love it. Cool. All right. Now, let me go on to um All right, this is your last set and then we're going to go into our uh,
0: January movies. I mean, our our New Year's not movies. Not quite. No, no. I have I'm going to do my next block and then don't you have one more movie? My that it is my next movie. Oh, so you have two movies. Technically, yes. All right. Okay, then I'll do all right, then I'll do all the movies I have left. All right. All right. So Go. The first thing, all right, three documentaries. Uh, first one I want to talk about is called Milius. Now, do you know the name John Milius? Does that name sound familiar to you?
1: Composer? No. I think it was different, John. No. John Millius. Wow. I know the name. I know the name. I just, I'm getting mixed up. Keep going.
0: Do you want me to list off some movies uh, this man is known for? Go ahead. Um... Uh, Apocalypse Now, Red, okay. Red Dawn, all right. Conan the Barbarian, right. Uh, Dillinger, maybe you wouldn't know that one. Yeah, but when I wrote the script, then the did. two things that I thought about all the time were Wagner and The Doors, you know, because I wrote the script entirely to Wagner and The Doors. And that's all I did was I'd take that first Doors album and put it on and just play it. I, I must have played that until it just, you know... I, you know, used it up or
1: whatever. And, and the doors truly were favorites of the Vietnam. Oh, yeah. And like, I remember like the doors
0: fire. to me were always that the doors that music was always music of war. And I remember telling that to the doors and they were just horrified. They just said, this is the exact opposite of, I mean, how, how could you get this? And I said, worse yet, you know, this is what their music is most famous for now. Okay. Well, I've seen one of those. Which one? Apocalypse Now. Oh, so you have not seen Conan or Red Dawn. Conan is on my list. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, anyway, so this is a uh, a documentary about uh, the life and work of the writer and director John Milius. Um, what's interesting about this guy is that he he came up with... The group of filmmakers that, you know, they they called them the, quote, movie Brats. And it's kind of fun. As a side note, it's fun, when I, I told Corey that, yeah, he was part of the movie Brats. And she was like, what? The movie Brats? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no. No, not Brats with a Z. Like, the group. <laughs>
1: For those of you who have not experienced Brats the movie. You're I... missing out. <laughs> In a way. <laughs>
0: Uh God. Not only have I watched that movie, I've watched that movie with the audio commentary. Wow. That sounds like a treat. <laughs> in a matter of speaking, if a treat means getting stabbed in see, the face. See, and people
1: get down on me for, see, for liking Equestria Girls.
0: <laughs> no, but you know what? At least Equestria Girls has respect for its audience. Yeah. To a point. Bratz does
1: not. I really wish it was what I had mocked it as being, the female, teen girl version of Caligula.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know that's redundant, but still. Your references, man. Okay, back to Millius. So John Millius comes up with... Maybe, uh, he goes, I, maybe I was thinking of John Mellencamp. <laughs> yeah. John Millius is the guy that people kind of forget when you talk about Steven Spielberg. Oh, so George it's okay Marcus. that I forgot about him. Well... Well, the, so well,
1: he the, was like in that 70s group of Lucas and Lucas,
0: uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg, Spielberg and uh, Walter March, Caleb. all these people. And the thing about well, the thing about this guy is that well the one thing too he was the one sort of staunch conservative Republican guy. Okay. He was the guy who originally he wanted to go to Vietnam and he was rejected because he had asthma and so he decided, well my, my ambition in life is to become a general. But since I can't become a general, I'll become the next best thing, which is a film director. All right. And um, and so you know he goes to film school with you know he he's the kind you know he's literally there with George Lucas, and you learn a lot of interesting things about this guy through the course of the movie. Like there are a lot of layers to a man who much through his career has been kind of derided and tossed aside as sort of like this right wing blowhard, and maybe rightfully so in some cases he is, but. Apocalypse Now the name actually comes from him not and like it wasn't even like all right I'm going to make a movie called Apocalypse Now what happened was he was when he was on campus in the 60s he would see that like hippies were wearing this button which was said Nirvana Now and it had a peace symbol so he took that image and sort of twisted the peace symbol to look like a B52 and then put Apocalypse Now Wow. On the button.
1: He would have a successful career as a hot topic designer. Yeah. Or yeah. actually, or
0: if he didn't have a B 52 symbol, he would have like a mushroom cloud in right, Apocalypse Now. Huh. And, I mean, you find out what a lot. What a strange of, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, to say the least. Um, the thing about this guy is that he's. He was one. He, unlike, you know, to a degree, Spielberg and Lucas, they were into making movies for guys you know boys but they were also you know they were more like let's make movies sort of for the family in a way like Milius is movies he, for the family where people's
1: faces melt off and <laughs> and, and hearts you know, get ripped and, out of beating chests
0: and and people's legs are bitten off by sharks yeah um but Milius is interesting because he's well, Sam Elliott is interviewed in the movie, and he comes on and says, he doesn't write movies for women. He doesn't he, write movies yeah, for women. Yeah, he doesn't write movies for women, and he doesn't write movies for pussies. He writes movies for men, because he's a man. Like, that's what he actually says Ford in For trucks. Movie. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, wait, or, yeah, so, okay. So what happens with Milius is that he becomes really known for screenwriting. He actually coined the whole 44 Magnum speech in Dirty Harry. He wasn't credited for writing the movie, but then he wrote the sequel. Um, so he wrote, Go Ahead, Make My Day. He wrote that, too. Yeah. Oh. He wrote a lot of tough guy dialogue. I mean, again, and he co-wrote uh, Apocalypse Now. You know, the entire Valkyrie sequence is his. Like, is acknowledged, you know, I wrote maybe this part of the movie and this part of the movie. This is all John Milius. The whole napalm in the morning speech, that's John Milius. Um, and again... The guy who makes Conan the Barbarian, and he does it unironically. You'll you know, kill like, my father! Does I don't remember him saying that. in the movie. You haven't seen Conan. Uh, well, yeah, but I, I know things from it. He sort of... Yeah, I guess he said... Well, the thing from Conan is, what is your purpose in life? To crush my em- enemies and get the lamentation of the women. <laughs> <laughs> like, John Milius didn't give a fuck. He was that kind of guy. Um, yeah. You know, but he also had... He's like of, a more erudite John Wayne. You know, who John <laughs> Milius is... actually, And in fact, they got the image down perfectly. And it's weird that they don't mention it in the movie. I was a little disappointed, actually, that they don't. You've seen The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Okay. The character John Goodman plays is patterned exactly on John Millius. Okay. His look, his really angry outbursts... Um, I don't roll with- on Shabbos! Yeah, I don't know if he's Jewish like that. Well, the, guy in, well, the guy in in Bigelbowski. Bigelbowski wasn't Jewish no, either. Well, th- to that degree, I don't think it's exactly like that, but he's much inspired by, you know, he would point guns at people for really petty stuff. At, <laughs> you know, like The whole scene where it's like, Am I going crazy? Am I only going to shit about the rules? <laughs> That's John Milius. I had a moment like that recently. Yeah, I'll tell you about it later. But anyway, <laughs> so what happens though with Milius is interesting because he, he does make movies, and he gets, you know, he does have a kind of troublesome reputation, but he still puts out mo- movies and writes scripts that people like. Um, you know, but he's a very much, you know, like a manly man. You know, I'm a Ernest Hemingway, give me a gun and let me shoot things guy. But then he makes Red Dawn, and it's the kind of movie that, you know, for those who don't know, Red Dawn is a movie about how, you know, yeah, the U.S. has never been invaded, but what if they were? What if the Russians came and took us over and started World War III? Through the back door of Mexico, no less. <laughs> yeah. But you know what happened? but then teenagers will rise up, aka called the Wolverines, and fight back against the Russians. Which is not
1: a bad idea because I mean when you're a teenager
0: you think about things like oh, that. Oh yeah,
1: the movie's are a total power trip. You're like, yeah, if I if we got invaded and I and you know,
0: I could go live in yeah. the woods. It's it's basically that it's basically that as a movie, and it's actually better than you would expect. Red Dawn is actually a fun movie. And I yeah, AVENGE that me! As like, Yeah. Aven Yeah. yeah. That, Harry Dean Stanton did quote so. Um but because of that movie, like well, this is according to John Millius, he got like a bad reputation because, you know, again, he'd walk into meetings and have a gun and you know, <laughs> people didn't like that. No, uh, people
1: tend not to like that. No,
0: not really. <laughs> He, he was one of those kind of guys. Comfort zone, um, John. Yeah. Comfort and zone. And so unlike Spielberg and Lucas, who, you know, th- their careers have kind of persisted, his career kind of fell off for a while in the 80s and 90s. And then he was going to try, he was going to make, actually, the thing, the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, the HBO series Rome, he created that. Oh, cool. I yeah. loved that series. Okay. Yeah. So if you think about Rome, he's... I don't know if he wrote all the episodes, but he was the main. I doubt that he wrote all wrote all the episodes. Maybe not. People in TV don't generally don't write all the episodes of. No, but if that he was the showrunner, he was the creative force behind it. Well, that's awesome. But and then he was going to try to make a movie about uh, Genghis Khan. Like that would be sort of like his towering masterwork. And <laughs> here's here's where the movie gets sort of sad, but it's also something that I almost consider kind of a flaw in the movie. And again, this is not a flaw against the man, because it's very sad. He had a stroke. Hmm. And so, you know, now he's still kind of recovering from that. And whether or not he'll be able to direct this movie, you know, who knows. Um, but it made me think back to life itself. And the fact that when you watch that movie, what's so great about life itself is that it's, it it goes, it right up front it states about how yeah Roger Ebert is really sick, and he's has all this trouble. he's trying to survive, and then you see his history through you know in his work and life and all that in this movie, it kind of comes as like ooh, last minute shock, he's had a stroke, yeah, and it kind of felt like all right, you're pulling one last you know tragic thing after you've had a very interesting movie before this, yeah, um, so if you like film history, if you want to learn more about this guy. Like if you want to th- learn more about the guy who, you know, wrote uh, *Apocalypse Now*. I mean, there are a lot of great stories in the movie. I mean, like he, uh, like originally the other thing too, uh, he originally designed with George Lucas to make *Apocalypse Now* like *Doctor Strangelove*. Like mm. their plan, like they had written the movie originally in college, and George Lucas's plan was, okay, I'm gonna go. Not to Vietnam, but I'm going to go to the Philippines. And we're going to do like a black and white 16 millimeter, like satire on the war. And it's going to be really funny and really weird and it's going to be awesome. And, you know, inspired by Heart of Darkness. And then Francis Corcopo was like, no, 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 give this to me. <laughs> <laughs> and he made it in the movie we see today. Yeah, Well, turned out okay. Yeah, pretty much so. So check out Milius. Uh, when you get a chance, it's on Netflix. Uh, really cool stuff for, uh, for film buffs especially. And I hope to check out some of these movies because some of them seem kind of cool. Um, now the or others, don't, it's or don't. You. It's up to you. Yeah. Um, now two movies I can talk about back to back. Other documentaries. Um, and speaking of sad things happening to creative people, uh, the director Albert Mazel's passed away. Um. And this was kind of sad for me, because Albert Maisels is actually someone I met in college. Uh, a film professor that I had uh, me- I sort of invited the whole class to go and check out this ex- exhibition that was in Central Park uh, 10 years ago. I don't know if you remember this thing called The Gates. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, this guy went and put up orange flags all over Central Park. Christo. Cristo. yeah. And he's done he's done these like sort of public art. Exhibits for like decades. He wrapped the
1: Reichstag in bubble wrap.
0: He did, do or that. cellophane, or something like. Yeah, he's done crazy things like that. He's created like islands with like colorful things. I don't know. And so I met, and so I went there to the to the gates, and Al Mazel's was there shooting. And so somewhere in the Al Mazel's archives, I'm on camera talking about the gates. Ha. Huh. I'm not in the movie, of
1: course. No, of course not. No,
0: I I wouldn't...
1: Why would you be in a movie, Jack? I don't know. Think about yeah. what you've done.
0: I've done nothing.
1: So, yeah, Jack's in the archive.
0: Yeah, I'm in the archive. But the thing about Al Maisel, so So, the two movies that I watched recently... So, after the night that he died, that I heard he died, I put on Gimme Shelter. Now, that's what he's most well-known for. Uh, we have, I have the poster right in my living room. Um... And I also saw, just this past weekend, another well-known movie that I had never seen before called Grey Gardens. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. Now, with Gimme Shelter, I've seen that movie several times through my life. Um, it's the movie about the Rolling Stones uh, concert and concerts in 1969. Um, half the movie is sort of them recording their you know, latest work. You see them just listening to Wild Horses and Brown Sugar, and, you know, it's fun times, and we're on stage doing Jumpin' Jack Flash and, you know, Honky Tonk Woman. And then the second half of the movie is about the Altamont Speedway concert, right? which was basically San Francisco trying to recreate Woodstock, but the difference this time was that they got the Hells Angels to be the security. And the problem was that I think my understanding from the my problem is, is that, that the
1: Hells Angels are a biker gang.
0: <laughs> the problem is they're a biker gang who got loaded up on booze. And from what I've actually Prob- read, that some of these Hells Angels were actually neophytes. They weren't, like, all official Hells Angels. All right. But the point is, is that they basically kept stirring up crap due to the concerts and beating up people. They even... I forgot about this until watching the movie again, that... They like the Jefferson Airplane were also one of the musical guests, and they went on stage and were playing a song. And the Jefferson Airplane, like their guitarist, got hit in the head by one of the Hell's Angels. Hey. And they were like, Grace Lick was like, Whoa, that's not cool. We just <laughs> lost Marty Cantor, our guitarist. Um and so the Grateful Dead were actually supposed to perform, and you see them like sort of right by their helicopter like Whoa! What Jefferson airplane got attacked? Okay, goodbye. We're out of here. <laughs> so they Jeez. didn't perform, even though they were scheduled to. And then, of course, the the tragedy that happened, which is caught on film in Gimme Shelter, is the the killing of uh of a man. You know, right. You know, during the concert, and uh, it's an interesting thing because when you watch it, um, the man who gets killed, he did have a gun, and you know, he's stabbed by one of the Hell's Angels and you could say alright I guess that's self-defense but what the documentary shows and what's so staggering is that the Hell's Angels basically created this this whole Hellstorm yeah <laughs> nice pun yeah if you're trying for that uh, hell.
1: hell has
0: come <laughs> um, but they've cr- they created a complete air of violence they created un- un- unrest unrest you know, there are times when before the stabbing happens where fights are breaking out and the Rolling Stones are like, whoa, 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 whoa! What are we fighting and what for? Yeah. You know, and... Yeah, the thing that people tend not to realize
1: is that Hell's Angels tended to be veterans. Hmm. And when they come yeah. up against hippies who are anti-war, they don't tend to see eye to eye. I
0: even some, some of them were veterans, but some of them were just people who came from a different area of life. Like, they didn't come from peace and love. They right. came from having these big motorcycles and being in a gang, which is much different than, oh, we're going to be on the commune and be with nature and take lots of acid.
1: This is Stefan Ponick, KSAN Radio, San Francisco. While well, Rolling Stones' tour of the United States is over, they wound it up with a free concert at the Altamont Speedway for more than 300,000 people. There were four births, four deaths, and an awful lot of scuffles reported. We received word that someone was stabbed to death in front of the stage by a member of the Hell's Angels. Nothing's confirmed on that. We were there. We didn't see it. But we did see a lot. We want to know now what you saw.
0: It's Watching the movie again, though, it was like, man, this is one of the best films I've ever seen. I love this movie so much. It's not something I want to watch over and over again. I watch it maybe every few years, possibly, but... You know, but, but the thing is, is that the movie has a great match between the Rolling Stones music, music, which is very uplifting and it's fun and you get into it. There's a dangerous side to it, possibly, but it's just rock and roll. And you're watching the Stones at their peak. You're watching them have fun. At one point, because they, they show them before the Altamont concert, they're at like Madison Square Garden. And that's like a really fun show and you see the people really into it. And, um,. And you also see, like, the the preparing for the concert, and that's kind of fascinating, too. And so you have these two sides of what rock and roll should be and what rock and roll, the the really dirty, horrible side of it. Yeah. So there's that film. Which
1: is why Batman hates it so much. Oh, yeah, well... Matt Catania, if you're listening to this episode, that one was for you.
0: Well, no, I've heard about that. Actually, I've, (laughs) I've seen a couple... I haven't read the comics, but I have heard that Batman... There are a couple of these, not canon, but sort of standalone comics where Batman fights against rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) Or like rock and rollers, it's like evil stuff. I think there's even another Batman comic about jazz. What?
1: Yes. I thought we we were done fighting about (laughs) jazz when the 30s came along.
0: Yeah, I see. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so g- there's Gimme Shelter and then the other Maisel's movie I watched which I would never seen before is Grey Gardens right what's it about Grey- oh man so Grey Gardens is about the aunt of Jackie Onassis Kennedy and uh, I think her cousin uh, Edith and Edie Bouvier Beale if I'm getting the names correctly and what you basically get in this film is the story of these relatives of Jackie Onassis Kennedy, and they live out in East. Uh, I'm going to say the East Hamptons. They live out on Long Island. Basically, in sort of the area where land. rich people land, but also where, you know, the kind of area where the Gatsby uh, took place.
1: East Egg? Sort of. Well, I don't know. Are East Egg and West Egg actual places? Or they yeah, just I imagine the they must be, or if
0: they were created for the book, they sound pretty likely. Yeah, but anyway, Edith and Edie Bouvier—they're women who are the 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 old world one is seventy-eight, and she lives with her daughter, who's fifty-six, and they live in complete—I don't know if this is a word, but I'm going to say anyway—decrepitude. They live in a house that is full of garbage and many cats. And raccoons. Oh, and the, it's the movie is basically watching them for. The, are minutes. they are they shut-ins? Kinda, yeah. They're reclusive. They They're very recrusive. reclusive. They, reclusive. Yeah, reclusive. <laughs> um, and you know, they basically spend all their time, you know, singing and playing records and going through old photo albums. And you get the sense that they go. They talk a lot about how. They used to have a lot of stature in society. Like the older one used to be sort of a singer. And the younger one, well, the younger one relatively, she's 56 in the film. She could have married someone, but it's like she loved one guy, but her mother chased him away. And then there was like, the point is ultimately you're watching like a very well-made, extremely well-made reality show. You're watching like the prototype for Hoarders. Uh, if you know what hoarders is, which is, oh, I've seen a few episodes of yeah, hoarders, which it's, is very sad and it, crazy, yeah. and just hoarders like, makes me depressed. <laughs> yeah, you're watching people who because have I see point, reflections of myself in those oh, people. Don't, oh, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. You you are nowhere near. I know. I'm not. I, the hoarders people are people who don't like. I can go to your house and I can at least walk around and not have to hold my nose or watch where I step. That's true. Or worry about, like, you know, what I eat. <laughs> uh, and what lives in my house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a scene in Grey Gardens where you'd think that, okay, I have raccoons in my house. I need to get rid of them. No. They're, like, they, they're living mostly in the attic. Like, you don't see them throughout the film. You see them here and there. At one point, the 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 daughter goes up into the attic and pours out a bag of Wonder Bread and pet chow. <laughs>
1: food for the raccoons they're trying to appease the raccoons yes
0: they're <laughs> appeasing their raccoon overlords um <laughs> and it's it's a it's a creepy sit. this movie is a creepy movie it, it almost reminded me I, I on another podcast i talked about the film foxcatcher yeah and it's interesting because at one point they're looking through photo albums and one of them mentions oh and uh, this picture was taken by uh, this tupont and I, that's suddenly... Okay, that makes sense now. This is like... This is the other... This could be on a double feature with Foxcatcher. Because Foxcatcher was all about the creepy rich. About the the section of the aristocratic American people in society who have it all. And it's like, what the fuck?
1: And are insane.
0: Yeah, I mean, now the difference is that in Foxcatcher, the, like, the main character isn't like a shut-in... But there's something really off about him. There's something off about the way that he holds his power and tries to lord it over people. The difference both these they... movies seem very gothic. This movie, yeah, there is a gothic element to it. The house itself is a character. That's a way to put it absolutely. It could be a horror movie in another frame. Um the reason those I bring up... who walk through it walk yeah. alone, <laughs> oh yeah, and like there's t- there's shots where the cameramen show like their whole property not just their house but they're surrounded by lots and lots of trees with big leaves that haven't been cut for a while um and you're watching these women and there is a point where you're almost like okay i kind of want to leave now (laughs) you know it's getting too much yeah like you know you almost feel like the women are they're kind of putting on a show for the camera people at times they're kind of like oh look at me i'm singing i'm i'm showing off to you and and to the, the the filmmakers' credit, they don't they try to stay as neutral as possible. They don't engage with them unless they have to, you know. So there's show, like so there's an element where you feel like you're both intruding on these people, but they're also bringing it on themselves, and mm. it's a very weird line. But it's it is I I don't know if I could watch the movie again, but I'm glad I saw it. Good, it's a strange kind of movie like that. Okay. Let's take so, a short break. Oh, I have one last movie. Okay. Last one movie. last movie. Let's bang this out, man. One last movie, okay? Let's do it. Okay. Have you heard of the tales of Hoffman? Maybe. Okay. This is a opera, actually, of all things. Um, it's by the filmmakers, uh, Pound Pressburger, which sounds like a restaurant, but. <laughs> <laughs> all the double
1: pressburger. Yeah, I'll a of... pound pressburger.
0: That would actually, I would love to go to like a a filmmaker restaurant and get like the pound pressburger with uh, with uh, a side of pal fries fried pals Pals. yeah like jordan powell yeah okay i got there um the movie is an adaptation of the opera tales of hoffman i don't know much about this because i it's funny how you you said in another podcast that you hate the theater (laughs) yes there's a time period where i mean i can't say if it's still the same but i kind of hate the opera oh really yeah i'm not a fan of the opera Like, generally speaking. I mean, maybe it's more about, like, I think back to when I was younger, and I was more of like, you know, I'm a rock and roll guy. I like rock and, all you know, crazy music and, you know, pop, you know, I I don't know. Yeah, you squares
1: can have your opera.
0: Yeah, and it's not like, I like classical music, but something about opera was just, like, uh, too much. Although I like operatic films, which is weird. Like, I love Sergio Leone. Well,
1: operatic is different from opera.
0: uh, Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, no but,
1: Sergio Leone film is an opera.
0: No, but you have sort of opera singers, maybe. Like the woman who sings uh, the uh, Ecstasy of Gold. So go on to the movie. But the movie is uh, from the 1950s, and it's an interesting example of how to do singing through a film and making it work. Um, the movie is absolutely gorgeous to watch. Uh, what happens is, is like, it's like it's about this character named Hoffman. Who's sort of this lovelorn guy who's lost three women in his life and he's gonna tell this these people at this bar about his three tales of love lost and um, one is about a a mad doctor who creates like a doll who sings and dances and uh, and you know the guy falls in love with the doll, but then at the end the doll is like literally torn apart limb from limb. <laughs>
1: Like you the, do, yeah.
0: The second story is about a woman who is sort of coerced by this other guy to steal Hoffman's reflection. Uh, that's the not again. Can... <laughs> 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 and then the third how will story... I comb my hair? <laughs> yeah. And then the third story is about a a woman who's gonna die of a terminal illness, and she prays to her. Like Greek mother god who's dead, and then this guy who looks and acts like Dracula comes and tries to coerce her and um...
1: Edward's wife's
0: dentist. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 wasn't it wasn't like a chiropractor, a chiropractor or something. Yeah, something like that. The movie, like I said, it's absolutely great to look at. It's one of these films that you know we talk about how like good digital photography might look today and how it, that's what you, the name the game in town 1951 you had three strip technicolor right and yeah. you know you had films where the actual process of photographing something in color was very arduous but the colors really popped the yeah. colors really came out and the thing about Palom press pressburg things also, like
1: uh, dial m for murder and uh sure. moby dick
0: yeah, 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 Mo- yeah. Those are interesting examples. Uh, these guys also did the Red Shoes. If that's familiar, oh, William and, Powell. Uh, not that Powell. What? Michael Powell. Michael is Powell. The who is William Powell then? Um, is he the Finman?
1: Man? Oh, that's why I keep getting wow. mixed up.
0: Yeah, not not every Powell is that Powell. All right. Okay, but Michael so you- Powell. And so this, yeah, Michael Powell, the-
1: who directed Peeping Tom.
0: That is correct. Okay, there we go. You get a cookie. Thanks. Yes. Munch, munch. So, yeah, we watched Peeping Tom, by the way, right? No. Okay, so you weren't there for that. Um, This movie, um, so they restored it frame by frame. But the cool thing is that, again, with three strip Technicolor, that's three frames, like per frame. So it took a lot of work to do this. And you can tell watching it, like, it just. boom. And. You know, I I enjoyed it much more. So brilliant, it burns your eyes. Yeah. I enjoyed it much more than I expected. Because these filmmakers, they've created films that are considered classics. Uh, They made The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, which is a pretty fantastic British war film. Uh, Black Narcissus. Uh, I mentioned The Red Shoes. uh, Peeping Tom. And then this movie. The interesting thing with uh, The Tales of Hoffman, I've known about it for a long time, is that... um, George Romero has called it his favorite film. Huh? Like it was the movie that made him want to make movies of all things. I could see why it's very theatrical and it feels like if you were a kid watching this, and I think George Romero must've been like 10 or 11 when he saw the movie, it'll probably really freak you out in a way. (laughs) And, um, on the side note, the cool thing, I saw this in the big screen in the city. Um, he actually did an introduction to a screening. I didn't, get to see it but i was online for the second screening after that and i saw him walking out of the screening and so or (laughs) you might or you might say or you might say zombie shambling out i might but i won't no but anyway (laughs) you know that was cool that was like that and that made my weekend it was like Ooh, I got to see George Romero. And I should have... I, I was almost tempted to yell out to him, like, like, hey, Day of the Dead, I liked it. <laughs> or so I don't know. Say some... Say, some movie that got derided... I liked
1: in- Marty. <laughs> well, Martin, whatever it was.
0: Martin's a great movie. Oh,
1: what yeah. was that other one? The Crazies.
0: Yeah, The Crazies. <laughs> um... So, yeah, Tales of Hoffman. Marty is a it, different movie, I think. Yes, it's a very different movie from Martin. Oh, man. <laughs> now I kind of want to see a remake of Marty, like the movie Martin, because Martin's a vampire movie. Yeah. But it's done very different than you see other vampire movies. Right. Marty is like the, hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? That's that movie. Yeah, that's what, that's... that's what you were thinking of. Yeah. Um, wow, I want to do a mashup. That would be so cool. And we called Marty Martin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Tales of Hoffman, really good movie. I liked it a lot. Um, it maybe was a little too long. There, like there are times where the camera moves and the thing is so exciting, and then other times it starts to just suddenly shut down. Um, but considering that I don't, again, I don't like opera that much, but it made me like opera. All right. So that's, that's cool. the best compliment. Hope I could pay it. All right, very good. So now we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the list. Yeah. Yeah.